You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. It's showtime. All right, so we are back for yet another. It's been a while, guys. Gosh, I missed y'all. Throwback version of the show, guys. Yeah. This has become my favorite kind of episode that we've done. Uh Uh, I feel like Rants and Raves is still up there for me because I know there's going to be some heated debate. We're going to be talking about a lot of important things, Mm -hmm. social issues. There'll be lots of current events. Mm -hmm. A lot of rants and raving. Mm -hmm. Um, But the throwback is always good. It's good to sit back and kind of take a look at the old movie shelf that you got and say, what would we like to talk about? What's still relevant? What's a good conversation to have? Um, And this one always comes up when we throw the idea out there to the listener. Mm -hmm. Uh, This movie is constantly being suggested. Yeah, this has such a, I wouldn't even say cult audience, but people love this movie so much. It's definitely... I mean, not people. I mean, culture loves this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you, every rewatch that I have of this, I'm just blown away by things that are paying homage to Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, the amount of songs that are named after lines in Fight Club. And there's actual albums that are named after scenes in the, in the movie and things like that. But uh, it's this very interesting and cool kind of how it's stuck around over the years. And it's kind of very random because it's not... It's kind of an isolated kind of thing. It's not about a subject that a lot of people would necessarily be interested in on paper. Um, we know boxing movies have done well in the past, like the Rockies and Creeds of the world, you know. But uh, if you were to tell somebody, yeah, it's about underground boxing and it's about this guy who has some mental, you know, kind of sketchy issues. Maybe the people that would go to see this wouldn't be that big, but it definitely has c- kind of the cult classic written all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me... On this last rewatch, it just kind of confirmed it. This is a freaking perfectly directed movie. Yeah. Um, and it's just like shot after shot of just amazing technical work and great direction and great acting and a great screenplay as well, great source material. So it really kind of has the whole stew there as far as what you need and want in a movie. Um, but it's just incredible how it's held up and stayed relevant over the years in culture and everything. Um, I don't know why that is, but... Um, I love I love this movie and I'm excited to talk about it. So, what's your exposure to it? Um, what are your thoughts? I guess generally on Fight Club, Richard. Yeah, this is probably one of the first like super hard R intense movies I saw. When did this come out? Ninety eight. Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Mm-hmm. I probably saw it in two thousand. Maybe I didn't see it in the theaters because um, I was twelve or thirteen. Um, but I saw it at, like a friend's house on DVD. One of the first. It was a big DVD movie. Yeah. Um, and I uh, was just blown away. I never, obviously, never, <laughs> never seen anything like it. And uh, saw it a bunch through high school over at friends' houses. It was always playing, and then uh, kind of went away from it for a long time just because I was tired of it. Because it's like the ultimate, uh, you know, fifteen through twenty-two-year-old bro movie. Uh, and then kind of came back to it like a year ago after not seeing it in forever, and uh, having now the a little bit of contextual knowledge of, like, like you said, Kent film technique not much mind you but enough to be dangerous um it was it was it's a much better movie than i remembered it being it's really really well done and i I love david fincher so 
you know, you can't, uh, you can't like him. And it's it just the energy he brings to material is great. I, I've read the book since. I read the book probably 10 years ago or so with some other Palinic stuff. And I don't think the book really pops as much as, as the movie. I think it's one of the rare cases where the movie is superior to the book. But what this, about you guys? This movie, um, actually, Brian, go ahead with your general thoughts. I have a more relevant point here. Okay, second. yeah. This is, a, this is one of the few movies that I don't really remember my first like introduction to it for some reason i know i didn't see it in theaters and it was a big kind of what you said richard it was a big player on my dorm room that's what floor, i was gonna say this is the know? most dorm movie yeah, of all time absolutely yeah. and, <laughs> and so it's roger dorm <laughs> i kind of resisted it for some at for a while, I don't remember why. Mostly just because I tend when people say, "Oh, this is really great," you have to see yeah. it. Then I'm like, "No, that sucks." I yeah, don't want, the know, contrarian, very contrarian yeah. about that sort of thing. So I kind of resisted for a while, and to the point that I've probably seen the movie three, four times at most. Um, and I was rewatching it yesterday, last night, and I could not remember whether I knew the big conceit and the reveal of who Tyler Durden is yeah. when I watch it the first time or not, if I realized it in the movie yeah. or, you I can't know, remember when that it gets either. broken. I can't remember if someone spoiled that from before yeah. seeing it or not. I don't know. And it's really weird because that's the sort of thing I, I, you know, I remember typically. With, you have spreadsheets with, of it. Exactly. Just every movie I've ever seen, I have a very detailed <laughs> spreadsheet. Um, it's a really good movie. It's not, you know, we've talked about Fincher a little bit before. We did a Gone Girl episode. I'm a Spielberg guy, um, and I think that that – it seems like most most film buffs that we run into here and there, they do kind of fall in you, – you either fall into the camp of you're a Fincher guy or you're a Spielberg guy. Okay. Um, and I, there's certainly crossover. I think Kent probably rides that fence pretty well. Yeah. I would say it's more Spielberg or Tarantino. Tarantino, like there's the more. It's one, more yeah. of a drastic. Yeah, it's like it's on the Mount Rushmore of of directors for film buffs, especially I would say male film buffs our age. It's Spielberg, Fincher, Tarantino, and Scorsese. Scorsese, yeah. That's that's yeah. your guy, and or Bull. <laughs> yeah, Chew. Man, we have referenced <laughs> Uwe Bull so much the last few Uwe, weeks. Uwe so Bull jokes were really big in like the mid early Louis, Louis Lettier is the new yeah. Uh, yeah. Uwe Bull, the good doctor Uwe Bull. Remember <laughs> he had like a PhD in some. Like, yeah, we so always referred him as the good doctor. Gosh, so weird. Um, yes. Look, if you're not familiar, because he's kind of out of the zeitgeist now. Yeah, pun, I don't pun even intended know. with the German word, but <laughs> right. he's kind of out of the zeitgeist. But if you don't know, Google Uwe Bull and check out his. I can't even think resume. of the last movie he did besides that Postal movie in 2007. And then just like, read his comments oh, whenever he gets a, bad reviews. He's, a, he's the best. He's, he's nut. American or German treasure. He's convinced <laughs> that no one knows anything about movies right. but him. He created movies, basically. <laughs> yeah. um, go ahead and read some of his illustrious oh work my off. gosh, man. Blood Rain. Yeah. Dead or Alive. You have to like go back a long time to get Postal. to stuff that anyone's ever heard yeah, of. Yeah, most of it's just like, there's stashed to number teams. <laughs> right. In the, the Name kids. of the King, A Dungeon Siege. Oh, that was tale. a big one. That was, I got a free ticket to that from some In the Name of the King? Yeah. yeah. When did that come out? A couple years ago. It actually was like January of 08. 08. Um, That's remember, because I went to the Obama inauguration and then straight to that. Right. It's right. a heck of a day. Yeah. Just House of the Dead. House of the Dead. Alone in the Dark. Alone in the Dark. I mean, they're all video game out of this. Yeah, he was the video game guy. They're, they're all just—they make the Resident Evil movies look like. But 
somebody figured out, remember, because of some sort of insurance thing he was doing. He's making a crap ton of money. Yeah, he figured out a way to, like, bomb and then make money. Yeah. That was, like, the thing with him. Weird. It's very odd. I'd have to look into it more. I haven't thought about him, really. We'll do our Uwe Bowl retrospective eventually. (laughs) On on UwaCast. I'm going to skip that that episode. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. I have a wedding to attend that week. Um, Yeah, so anyway, I think those are the four big... The Mount Rushmore of of directors, and to me, it always seems like there's there's a lot. I think you're rare, Kent. Is what I'm trying to say. The mm-hmm. there's bleed over between Spielberg and Scorsese. There's bleed over between Fincher and Tarantino. It seems like there's kind of a there's a line that you have to decide whether you're on the Fincher side or the Spielberg side. I lean Spielberg, and I have this. So for me, with with most Fincher movies. Which I would have Fight Club fourth of his nine, ten movies. Um, what else do you, what do you have above him? I would have Social Network, yeah. The Game, and Zodiac. And The Game is a real random – nobody has The Game up that high. But for whatever reason, that one really works for me. Okay. And I think it's just it's such cool an interesting movie. Um, but I've only seen that once or maybe two, three times and not in a long time because it it's, it seems like kind of a singular entity kind of movie. I don't I don't want to rewatch it. It doesn't. Anyway, m- my point is I have a great – it's like I have an outsider's respect for David Fincher. I love what he is able to do. He's such a technical master, mm-hmm. and all of his films look magnificent. They have – they look exactly perfect, the actually. feel they look perfect. that yeah they look perfect like every frame is totally. like a, a it's, freaking it's a, it, they photograph. are masterfully put together every movie has the exact tone that he wants for the movie there's no well except for like aliens 3 and maybe dragon tattoo he he has an he has an idea for what he's trying to accomplish not just on the screen but in the way that it feels and the way that it comes across right. and he nails that for the entire length of the movie and that is such a tough task it's just that his sensibility doesn't always mesh with my own sensibility. And so I always find his movie, whereas Spielberg is kind of known for being um, warm mm-hmm. and having very genuine human emotion, or maybe not even genuine, maybe overwrought human emotion throughout a lot of his films, Fincher is cold. I mean, he's a very cold, calculated director, uh, or at least his, his films come across that way for the most part. And so... They always, always leave me feeling like, man, I just watched an incredible film, and I don't think I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. And it's never like – it's not like Schindler's List. I never want to watch it again. It's it's just – I I don't know. For whatever reason, like I very – like I said, I've, this is probably the third time I've watched Fight Club. It's probably been eight, ten years since I've seen it, and it's excellent. It's so good. I'm probably not going to watch it again yeah. for 10 years, you know? And that's that's just kind of where I fall on Fincher in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed this, this. I think I've enjoyed this movie more every time I've watched it. I will say that. And that's, um, you know, that's rare. It's, mm-hmm. This movie came out 17 years ago, and I think it is better now than it was 17 years ago. It's at least my appreciation that it, for it's it is that different. old because it, it's, yeah. it, it's so technologically advanced in right. the way it's shot right. it's so distinct yeah um it's you would think somebody would have ripped this way to shoot or done it better since then but mm-hmm. it, it's like edgar wright comes to mind as maybe yes. somebody who's yes. taken like this style of filmmaking and like i'm gonna do comedy uh-huh. with that um but uh i mean this this just holds up so well it's incredible how 
crystal clear it is mm-hmm. and everything. It almost looks like it was shot digitally and then enhanced and everything. Uh, but for the late 90s, this is like, you know, the Matrix came out like this same year. Like, what looks better now? Sure. This. Oh, yeah. Times, yeah. You know, you go to thought this came out this year, honestly. Right. But um, as far as Fincher's f- filmography goes, interesting to note that Fight Club um, only made $30 million mm-hmm. here and is number nine out of his 10 movies worldwide wow. gross. Uh, it only made $100 million worldwide. I mean, only made. Um, the, only one, the only one he's done that was lower than that was Zodiac, uh-huh. which only made 84 worldwide. But uh, So that leaves The Game, Alien 3, Panic Room, Social Network, Dragon Tattoo, Seven, Benjamin Button, and then his highest grossing movie uh, is Gone Girl, his most recent work. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good, good movie, though. Uh, yeah, it, it it crossed so many like it's kind of a it crossed crossed into the kind of people who sit at home and read, uh, you know, a, uh, those novels all day. What are they called? Yeah. Not romantic novels yeah, or whatever. Kind of all day, kind of pulpy airplane books stuff, and then like called. it's kind of a thriller action aspect too. Yeah, um, right. So it, it definitely had a wide. It's kind audience. of a, I would say in a cool way. Fight Club is kind of I mean, Gone Girl is like Fight Club for girls. Like, yeah. It's like like in 15 years when Fight Club's <laughs> playing in the guy's dorm, in the girl's dorm, oh, they'll girls be watching love Gone, Gone Girl. Because yeah. it's girl about girls getting revenge on a guy or whatever yep. in their eyes. But uh, no, that's right. And I think Social Network is kind of a hard sell. I know. Yeah, it's a movie about Facebook. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds awful. I made you so know? much fun of it coming <laughs> out that it was my favorite movie of that year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how well it worked. And that was, of course, Sorkin, too. There, but those two you get together. that lethal combination. Yeah, it's that's incredible. Yeah. It's absolutely that's like the new Golden State Warriors right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you would have. I kind of wonder what Steve Jobs would have been had Fincher stayed on board for yeah. it too. Um, what that could have been, and that was a great movie. Danny, I thought Danny Boyle nailed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just going to be interesting to see what it would have been if if it hadn't been him. But man, the the thing with Fincher is, and one of his trademarks, and it's definitely apparent in Fight Club, is the like supernatural motion of the camera. Mm-hmm. You almost feel like it's kind of a like spiritual mm-hmm. following them around. There's no there's no way a human doesn't could, follow physics. Yeah, it doesn't follow physics, physics at all. Um it it like stays on one level and it'll just kind of move around a room, you know. It doesn't mm-hmm. uh it doesn't even adjust in, uh, in the height at all. Um it's so smooth and it's you know kind of the opposite of Spielberg where there's a, a lot of very normal camera movement mm-hmm. in the Spielberg like a normal pan or a normal Tilt up or it's a normal great about Spielberg movement. though. Like Spielberg tries to excel within the existing barriers. It's like he was he doesn't taught, ever try to break. It's like them. he was taught stuff at uh, USC in you know the early seventies or late sixties, and he's like, "All right, that's how you make a movie." Yep, mm-hmm. and like he's used those techniques right. ever since. And like, oh, CGI, yeah, we'll sprinkle some of that in. It's like right, a bunch but. of other bands that like, you know, we're going to introduce a lot of production technology and uh-huh. you know computer and all these things. And Spielberg's like, no, nah, I'm just going to use. A rhythm guitar, a lead exactly, guitar, a bass right. and drums, and yeah. we're going to be great. Exactly. But I'm going yep. to play it perfectly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but play and it. an apt comparison to that is Trent Reznor, who of mm-hmm. course is the go-to mm-hmm. guy who scores all his movies. It's so such an apt comparison because Trent Reznor is like, oh, you know what? Here's what you can do with that technology. Exactly. Right. If you yeah. decide to use it, you can do it, and it can be tasteful, and it can be it can last for 20 years and still sound great. People sure. can still love it. Uh, I think Fincher has taken. Now digital cinema, and really like shown. You know what? Oh, yeah. F it. I'm not Quentin Tarantino. I'm not gonna 
hold myself to a restraint of right. shooting. As a, there right. are restraints to shooting on film. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. loud. It's expensive. You can't see dailies until literally the next day. You don't even know what you shot. I mean, you can use great cinematographers like Tarantino does, right. but you can literally have a monitor there yeah. shooting mm-hmm. digitally, and you right. can say, oh, no, turn up the uh, exposure, turn yeah. down the exposure, give me more shadow. You know, you can see it there. And in turn, you can make uh, way more refined work in the, at sure. the end, I think. You have way more to choose from. Um, and Fincher's a very picky. Um, I've heard he's hard to work with, just yeah. in the fact that he'll, he knows exactly, exactly what he wants, and he's getting it, and you're going to sit there until he gets mm-hmm. it. Uh, in the same way with Sorkin. Same yeah. way with Sorkin. So that's why they probably work so well together. But I feel like Spielberg is somebody who improvises more on the set. It's kind of more hands-on. Like, all right, we'll just do it. What is on the script? And then we'll give it a few different things. Yeah. We'll yeah. do some different angles. We'll do what feels natural. And in turn, with Spielberg, you get exactly what you know is planned. But then you get those special little moments that right. you know was just happened on the set. Like mm-hmm. uh, Close Encounters when the little boy's reacting to the alien. Right, right. There's no way to write that. You just do it and you pick the best stuff. But everything very calculated with Fight Club. Um, very linear. It's almost as if, I guess the narration of Edward Norton kind of helps. It's almost as if this has happened before and you get the opportunity to watch it again mm-hmm. unfold. And you're doing it from that supernatural mm-hmm. third eye, if that makes sense. Um, you're not really witnessing as witnessing it as it's as it's happening uh, you're kind of being told um but this is kind of a confusing movie to rewatch because of the reveal yeah how do you guys feel about knowing what you know after you've seen the film rewatching it how do you feel it 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 you can still get lost in it I that, guess. that was something that i noticed this time around that i was well that i focused on a lot and i can't decide if it makes the movie better or worse yeah. is I think it's very obvious when you know what you know. Can we just? I mean, this movie is spoiling years it. Old. Yes, okay. it's seven. Yes. Okay. If you're not listening, right. if you're listening to this, you've seen it. When you know that Tyler Durden is a is a figment of of uh, Edward Norton's imagination, um, I think it's very obvious that that is the thing. That that's true. That that's what's happening. When you go back and watch it a second or a third time, it's there's so many scenes where. It's not like, oh, I guess I could have figured this out. It's like, yes, this is very painfully obvious that mm-hmm. he's a fa- that he's fake, that he's not real. And I don't I can't decide if that is purposeful. Knowing Fincher, I'm willing to give the benefit not benefit of the doubt, but I'm willing to guess that's very purposeful. Yeah. And he just pulls it off quite well. But I did have that debate in my, within my mind of like, is that on purpose or is it is that kind of a does that take it down a notch? Is it a little bit lesser because it is so obvious? And um, Totally fair. No, yeah, you're right. And I think for me, it's just more of a slow reveal. I mean, they hint at it early, mm-hmm. but if you don't know that, you won't catch them at all. No. And I think this is kind of over a two-hour movie, two, two-hour-and-a-half movie. Uh, I, I, I say you would dis- he discovers his who he is. Yeah relatively early uh, maybe midway through midway to halfway through so uh it's not like this the reveal is like the last scene and it's like oh my gosh you know yeah. they've been this whole time i think they're they're trying to hint at it in different ways and there are some scenes like the scene in the car uh in, in the, with the wreck um there are some scenes that now that you go now that you know what you know and you go back and watch it it's those are scenes for those people you know like tyler's driving the car and he's like 
getting him to steer the wheel, you know, because mm-hmm. there's not actually anybody in the driver's seat or whatever. Yeah. But you don't know that until you know what you know. Uh, so that's why they True. drive off the road is because he lets go of the wheel and nobody else is steering it sure. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so those are the, for the people that know that Tyler doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Doesn't exist. And at the time, probably for the book crowd. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it was probably made for that reason. Because yeah. you got to think a certain percentage of this are going to have read that book. How how have did you approach the book? Have you read the book since the movie came out? Or yeah, anything yeah, like yeah, that? yeah. No, I read the book. The movie came out in '99. I probably read the book in like '07. Uh huh. So way later. It's I a just, short book, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It was like I worked at this bookstore that no one ever came in, and so I would spend hours every day reading. So that's, it was just like that's one all bookstores. Just yeah. FYI. So I would just, I had an office, and so I would do all of our operational stuff, and then I would sit in there and read for like four and a half hours. <laughs> and um, and uh, so this happened to just like, I think I read it in a day. It's not very long. So I, I read it the whole time. It's, it's, it's fine. It's like kind of an extended short story. It's almost novella. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely a cinematic story. I think it works better as a, as a movie. Like I didn't think I really gained any extra insight by reading the book. None at all? Not that I can think of. Now, it's been nine years, so who knows? Yeah. This is a, a screen... I don't know if this won any awards for adapted screenplay or any, or if it was even nominated. Maybe, Brian, you can look yeah. at that. But this is one of the more intelligently crafted screenplays I've ever for seen. For sure. Mm-hmm. As far as giving the director some, something to work with. And you got to think Edward Norton read this script and was like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. here we go, baby. Hello, you know? Oscar. Hello, Oscar, you know. And uh, I don't know why this didn't work better in the day. Why didn't it? It had Brad Pitt. Like, you would have thought a Brad Pitt starring movie back then, the late 90s, would have drawn a bit more of an audience than $30 million total. Yeah. Um, this was right that? before Brad Pitt became Brad Pitt, at least... Yeah, he was just a pretty face kind of at this yeah, point. Yeah, because he'd come off of Meet Joe Black, which was a I huge I thought, like, flop. Legends of the Fall was huge. Yeah, Meet Joe Black flopped right. pretty bad. This was kind of as he reinvented himself as a handsome right. character actor instead of just leading man. Yeah, and so, I mean, these are the movies. So, Legends of the Fall, Interview with the Vampire. Those killed. Seven, Twelve Monkeys, Sleepers, Seven Years in Tibet, Devil's Own, Meet Joe Black was the lead-up to... Fight Club. A lot of those are are solid movies to to very good movies, uh, but they I don't know that any of them had like a huge. I don't think he was Tom Cruise movie star. No, like, he wasn't. Like, he was kind of the handsome guy that does these weird movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this kind of fit that mold. Until yes, you see it. this is just a hard, this is a tough movie to sell. I think I don't think that the the movie star shoe ever really fit him very well. No. And you know when he's at his best, it's. Snatch and Ocean's Eleven and um, I'm trying to think of uh, the Troy Jesse James mm-hmm. <laughs> movie and and all that stuff. Anytime he's in a movie like it, this, he's very comfortable in. This is like one of his better performances, uh-huh. and he's so uh, he's so cool. He's comfortable in that in that skin. I've always felt like he was. Maybe this is a movie that launched him into in that a lot of ways. It, I think it. I think it let. Um, the industry think of him in a different way mm-hmm. than it than it had. You know, Seven helped with that too. True, but, but he's Seven, still kind of the. It's a dark movie, but he's like the pretty boy, yes, leading yes, man of it. Exactly. Um, and Sleepers is kind of the same way. And so, where I, in this, he's kind of the Kevin Spacey. Yes, you know, that's a great that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I think this is kind of what set him up in the industry 
even if it didn't do so well uh, financially with with audiences and that. But kind within of thing. a year, I mean, everyone had this poster, and like the failure of it at the box office is a little bit, yeah, well, crap because like this was culturally significant within a year of it coming out. It is, and it's also the reason why it is the reason why it's a cult classic, quote unquote, is because it's reaching out to seventeen year old males. Yeah, you know, seventeen to at least at that time. It may be different now. I don't know. But going to the movies was not – that's not the thing that 17-year-old guys are doing together, really. No. It's – this was a like – like we said earlier, this is kind of a dorm room discovery. And so every year – for like six years probably, every year as a new batch of 17 and 18-year-olds go off to college and somebody on their floor is like, like you got to watch Club? Fight Club oh, right so now. so sick, bro. You know? And then they discovered, and then they're passing it on to the next. It, it just it built and built and built for for five, six, eight years. And before at some point, it probably it had to have reached an apex, and has been on the downslide since then. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you: Do you own a small business, or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh, it's sourced from local farms, and there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now, and they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, Soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I wonder what the Fight Club is for this current. That's a good question. Generation, probably now you see me. <laughs> <laughs> no, like Inception, maybe or something. Ah, uh, that's a good one. I don't know. Maybe. Good one. Um, Dark Knight, but everyone saw it. It was Everyone's, so huge, yeah, but it's still, big. that's like such a bro out. No, that's What's a good. That's a Fight good... Club is the Fight Club of this. <laughs> probably I mean, seriously, that people still. You Who see knows? that soap poster like everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Still. Yeah, but this is one. Norton really really delivers in this movie. I mean, he carries the whole thing, obviously, but this is really kind of the first introduction we had as a public to him as far as American History X. 
Yeah, one, that's a one, great one-two punch he, for him. Yeah, one-two punch. But this, I felt like maybe more people would have discovered him through this. That American it's, History X feels like more of an independent. It's sport. funny. I think this is the movie that launched Brad Pitt as an industry actor that could find uh, yeah. you know important work, not just pretty boy stuff. It's also the movie that launched Edward Norton into a mismatched movie star career because pretty much every not every movie most movies he did after this for a long stretch he always felt wrong for the role he always felt uncomfortable it always put him in a position to do something that he didn't want to do edward norton doesn't want to be a movie star no at all and he's a very weird guy he's a weird I dude he's great i yeah. love watching him on screen he's now like mr comedy now yes. he apatow's producer right. and he's like mr funny but so from weird. like 2000 to 2010 Super almost intense. every movie he did it felt mismatched and he felt like he, it just it just never had the right feel to you know 25th hour he's great in and that's a small it's a great movie. smallish movie that is super underrated people have kind of forgotten about unfortunately He's good in the Italian job, you know, but that's such yeah. a, you know, here it is. Just It's a TNT kind of movie. It. But there were so many other movies in that stretch where it just didn't it didn't work. kind of culminated with Incredible Hulk, which I don't think he's bad in at all, but he's not, I don't know. It doesn't ever seem like he, he wants to do that. regrets that he screwed himself out of being in the Avengers. How I don't, did know, that, I don't I think don't he does. Story. I don't think he, he couldn't have done Birdman or anything if right. he was in I, Avengers. I don't think that that, that lifestyle, I don't think that interests him. You know, he pops up. We talked about Born a little while ago. Yeah. He's in that Born Legacy movie, and even that, it's it's so phoned in, uh, and and just kind of yeah, mediocre. Now he just you know? like the only time he brings it is like really small, like Wes Anderson or Daniel yeah. Ritu. Uh, why did he not do the Avengers? I don't know that story. It was because he wanted a different direction for the character, wasn't yeah. it? Well, like, and he, was he had strong disagreements too. about. Yeah. About to where the story was going to go. Okay, so he was on board for, with anything. it for a while, and then he was just like, "I'm out." So they yeah, just like, uh-huh. right. I think he was You're just like, "Hey, if it's not going to be gotcha, cool. this, then mm-hmm. th- I'm out." And so there, it's an easy character re- recast. Yeah. And he's green half the time, yeah. right? But uh, I mean, he carries this, and especially as a narrator, mm-hmm. I mean, he the inflection he uses on the narration really carries you through the story. And this is a scene right here that I absolutely love, and it's a it's a scene that's an example of Fincher. It's the phone booth scene. Yeah. Um, talk about camera work. The amount of detail that he puts into like cl- showing close ups. I mean, the amount of close ups that Fincher uses is a lot, mm-hmm. but he does them with such flair that he uses them so naturally that it just adds such a salt and peppery element to an otherwise standard scene. Like, they show an absolute close-up, like, camera right up on the dial pad as he's dialing the number, you know? Like, yeah. you could show him standing there, just standing there dialing a number, and we understand that. But, like, the attention to detail, and, like, I'm going to get a... All right, the camera's going to be above the phone, and it's going to be looking <laughs> down at an angle, and his hand's going to come to the middle and right. dial. Like, it, he cares a lot. And, like, just to go to that length for that small, simple shot was probably, like... All right, Dave, how are we going to mount a camera in the top of the thing so we can <laughs> shoot down on it? We're going to have to get another phone plate. You know, it's like stuff that normally most directors would be like, eh, it's not worth it. You know? Yeah. He knows, he feels that it's worth it. And I really appreciate that. But there's a lot of simple setups, a lot of simple dialogue in Fight Club, a lot of just him talking with Tyler and stuff. And they do a good job of 
giving us different scenes and settings for that mm -hmm. and different camera placement for that. And so you really don't understand that this could be a schizophrenic person or somebody with dual personalities until literally the, the director wants you to. But now that you go back, you're like, yeah, sure, somebody could be sitting in a, in a restaurant booth yeah. and talking to themselves and nobody would say anything right. in the restaurant. You know, that would be perfectly natural. All of this stuff, I think, still, if you're watching it for the first time, definitely you, you can you can believe that uh, Tyler Durden's really there. I think the first scene when Helena Bonham Carter leaves their house, mm -hmm. that's when it is. And yeah. that's about halfway through the movie. This time around watching it, it's... It is very clear to me, okay, that's that's the first, like, okay, that guy's not there because mm -hmm. of the way that it's staged and her leaving, and then he pops into the room right after she's like, she He's like, where out. are you going? And she's like, he's like, why are you here? Why are you at my yeah. house? Yeah. Yeah. And, and she just storms out. And yeah. I think that is a very, it's a pretty obvious, and I don't, like I said, I don't, I still can't decide if that's purposeful or not and if it makes it better or worse, but it definitely is a, I think it's a, uh, it's a turning point. It's a it's a moving point for the movie. Like from here on, we're doing we're going in a different direction. There are so many setups in this movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of stuff you fit into this. It's one of those where you look at the book and be like, man, there's a lot there, but it's gonna be it's gonna take a a lot to actually make that a movie. Um, I mean, I feel like every scene is in a different place. Yeah, mm -hmm. like they never once re return to a location no. that they'd been in previously mm -hmm. in the movie. Uh, there's got to be probably. 200 setups in this yeah. movie or something like For crazy sure. like that. It, cra it seems crazy expensive, but I, I assume this was on a limited budget if it uh, came out in Fincher's early days. Yeah. But the amount of stuff, like the amount of little jobs and side gigs that Tyler Durden has, like mm -hmm. the projectionist thing. There are some funny little like side moments like that, kind of like family guy flashback <laughs> things, yeah. you know, where the narrator's just saying, well, here's what Tyler does, you know, and... um it's kind of not even very necessary to build the character as far as, because we know Tyler's just a cool badass is what we're supposed to think he is before right. the reveal. But it's just, it's uh, it really adds a lot to uh, the enjoyment yeah. factor. Well, of the movie. And it also lends to, in the, once you know what's happening, <laughs> once actually, you, uh, this, we're this, watching the movie, on, as we, there's a screen on with the movie and it just showed the scene of him in the projection. Right. So. <laughs> Wow. Um, <laughs> Good timing. Uh, it, it lends, once you know what you know about Tyler Durden. Like this, I feel like this, this backstory, scene is just a love story for, for movies from Fincher. Like, I'm going to explain how the little, what the little dots right. are for uh, in, when you saw projected movies. And it's right. kind of very random. But. but you know what it also does is it deepens uh, the connection between the narrator and Durden as far as if you were a crazy person and you were creating a split personality for yourself, you would have to go to extreme lengths to build a story mm -hmm. for who that person is for yep. them to be believable in your own mind. And that's what, to me, that's what all this excess stuff is. Uh, his, his jobs and his weird neuroses yeah, and, and all these different things that he yep. exemplify. It's because if you're a crazy person who's not sleeping and you're creating this other, you've got to find a way to make that person real and, and it's and it's revealed more at the end i guess when uh it's all stuff tyler durden does all stuff that norton just thinks is awesome right you know yeah. it's all his ideal life like man this guy's so cool here let me tell you all his side right. gigs and how yeah. all many of these girls he's with the girl that i would want to be with yeah you know? exactly and all that stuff yeah but think about like 
the three of us, like, I know so much about you guys, your backstories. That's how I know you're real people in some ways, you know? Like, that's it's not just that we're in the same room. Should we tell them? Oh, no, it's happening. This podcast doesn't exist. I think that's one of the most <laughs> fascinating parts of this. That's, to me, that might be my favorite part of this movie, is the depth to which he will go to create this person. Yeah. It's, um, it's a very ambitious movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. About yeah. it. It's almost like you know it's not going to... You know you're eliminating a lot of people yes. with how complicated yeah. this story is. Yeah, I like have a lot to of people think, just can't follow it and refuse yeah, to. Yeah, I have this made a hundred about a hundred million dollars worldwide. I have to think that the studio was thrilled with that total when it's all yeah. said and done because this is such an inaccessible film yeah. and very difficult to market. Because you, you run the the risk of you can try to show people what it's about and then nobody's going to go because they're going to just say, what just happened? I don't yeah. have a clue. Or you can try, hey, Brad Pitt, Ed Norton, don't you want to see this cool movie? And then people are pissed because it's not anything like what they thought it was going to You know what I mean? Like, it's tough. This is a tough sell for broad audiences. And it's it's a little deceiving. I mean, it's called Fight Club. The, the book was called Fight Club. But it's so much more than just about a fight club. Oh, yeah. Too. Yeah. Before so I go seen in, it, I seen thought the whole movie would be a fight right. club scene, basically. Right. It's yeah. like eight minutes in the whole movie. Yeah. You, you, you go in, and I don't even think they have the fight club aspect until 40 minutes in. Uh, they don't even reveal the fight club. So, um, Helena Bottom Carter, obviously, the love interest kind of person that he discovers his I- true identity through. So... Obvious that uh, there's a place for her in this, and not just a tacked-on mm-hmm. female character, which yeah. I was happy to happy to see. Um, Jared Leto shows up, and um, it's a funny line. Like when we first see him, he's like, uh, "It's Tyler Durden saying all your dreams are false. You know, give up everything you're trying to do. You won't ever be successful." <laughs> yeah. um, he's trying to get him to follow him, you know, and he says, "You'll never be rock stars." And he's like looking right at Jared Leto. <laughs> Uh, it was. I don't know. Still if Fin- arguably true. I don't know if Fincher like knew he was trying to be a rock star or something and did that on purpose. Yeah. Uh, just as an inside joke or something, but it's just funny in retrospect to look back. It's a third of the way to Mars. <laughs> he was thinking the exact pop same star. Thing. Yeah. I'll never be able to to look at that. Think it's about a that band, band name, not a statistic. <laughs> yeah. Such a, funny, <laughs> such a funny. By the way, Tim Meadows is is he the perfect person <laughs> for those kinds of movies? He's like, the best. Like one Dewey of the best. Cox, too. Most like underrated the, comedic straight man ever. Is Tim yeah. Meadows. He's yeah. so, even on SNL for like 11 years, he was just like, let's put Tim in this and he'll be the normal person. And, uh, you know, we don't count candy bars or plants, right? Yes. You've seen that census skit with <laughs> yeah. walking. <laughs> 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 My wife, she's a bobcat. <laughs> Such a great sketch. Gosh, man. Well, I got Tim Meadows on the mind here. Oh, Sorry. Um, Always do. I guess the big reveal, sort of, is that we're seeing a scene with Edward Norton and his real boss at his real job mm-hmm. or whatever, and he starts beating himself up right. in his boss's office. Yeah. So that's kind of like we're seeing what everybody else sees. We're not seeing <laughs> yeah. the world through Norton's perspective again, or uh, we can't see Tyler. So I guess that's what it looks like when... Durden beats him up? Is that he's beating himself up? Or right. how is that yeah. supposed to... I guess that's what they were going for. Yeah. Well, he's well-versed in beating himself up by this point, you know? So that's a... That's he's a, a truly scene. psychotic person. I love the tint to build up to that. Is just like, 
a one-on-one with him and his boss kind of arguing at each other, but it's shot with complete profile of the side mm-hmm. of their heads, and it gets, gets closer and closer and closer. So that's another example of just going the extra mile with a very typical setup yeah. from Fincher. Um, Project Mayhem comes into play later, and they just, they're not going to do Fight Club anymore, and they're just going to cause <laughs> havoc yeah. around the city, and I love this. Mm-hmm. Just the random stuff that they do. Um you know, changing billboards to subliminal messages. And, yeah. like, I guess they got into the We've pi- pirating <laughs> movies business. Like, they're they going with a camera into a video store, and they're, like, copying the covers, so they're going to reprint movies or something. They go into I, some weird... I think oh, they that's were... that's what that was. I thought they were destroying the tapes. That's what I thought oh, was Oh, was it a magnet or something? it was a magnet. That's, that's my take. Sorry, my phone just... Oh, Celtics game. I was Sorry. literally just scrolling through Twitter, and <laughs> Ben Simmons highlights just started. I don't know why. <laughs> Just randomly scroll through Twitter like you do. Um, who owns the Fight Club? They have an argument about that. I didn't. I thought mm-hmm. the Fight Club was there before he got there. Norton got there, but I guess him knowing that he's yeah. Tyler now, yeah, kind of. He starts it, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, we I, just don't get to see it. Really, we just don't. We just don't get in a very apt explanation of it. But I love the reveal or him discovering himself. Mm-hmm. through Helena Bottom sequence. Carter. Yeah. It's a great mm-hmm. just ending to it all. Um, and he, like I said, it wouldn't have happened with him. And, and like he says at the very end, it's like, you caught me at the best part of my life or yeah. something like that. Like, imagine what he would have turned into had he not met her or that circumstance not not happened. But, man, this is a great film. Um, there's not a lot to complain about here. I'm trying to think of some negatives to go over. Um, I guess maybe a little overly ambitious or complicated for maybe the average moviegoer. Um, it's maybe one you have to watch a couple times to fully understand sure. or catch everything. Um, what would be something negative here uh, about the movie? I can't even think. It holds up well. It does like said, hold up. Music and uh, visuals holds up well 17 years later, so I can't argue about that or complain about it. Um, You know, the... Uh, who knows, really? I'm trying to think of what. Yeah. Even the violence, though, is so like perfectly placed. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, and and I, I, yeah, this movie's hard to criticize. Like for what it is, it's if you're not into it, I get that. Right. I even kind of. Right. I guess it that is line. kind of a like you have to be all in. You have to completely buy yeah. Fincher. But if this is your type of thing, right, you can't critique it. Really, yeah. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's honestly one of the more polished works of. His filmography. Yeah, I think go back is. and think about it. It's a little long. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 long, but I mean, he he but wasn't I can't going really for a blockbuster I'm... here. He's not going for no, a family. You know what I mean? It's right. kind of its own. It can be long. No, um, it can. It, and it works fine. I'm it, saying it's if just you're, crazy if you're that trying he, to find something, but I don't know what you trim out. You could argue that this was the peak. This is peak Fincher. Like this is quintessential Fincher, and mm-hmm. it came such in such an early part of his career. It's amazing that he was able to do something mm-hmm. this advanced and technical, and it has the the Fincher kind of uh, what's it called opening credit sequence. Yeah, perfect yeah. version of that too. He's I think just this creating is, himself as a trademark director. Yeah, it really does stand yeah. him. A, I think this is way. definitely the peak of his creativity as a director, or, or at least as a storyteller. I sure. would say because you look at it, pretty much everything else that he's done since then. 
is an adaptation of something, mm-hmm. except I guess for Panic Room. I don't know if that's based on it, but I know this is an adaptation too. But it's not nearly the well-known property, I guess, that like the Zodiac Killer is or Gone Girl the Facebook huge. story. Gone Girl was a huge story. Dragon Tattoo, yeah. Um, and so that's kind of. I think this is like. I'm blank. I, Go ahead. Sorry, Brad. No, no, no. It, it, I think this is so high on the. I think this is why this is almost like the to me this this is the movie I think of when somebody mentions David Fincher like this is yeah, Fight I Club mean. is synonymous with David Fincher to me and I think that's part of it is just because of the high level of creativity you're right Richard I don't have a complaint about this movie it doesn't fit my yeah. particular tastes or sensibilities and so it's not ever going to be yeah. like an A plus 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 for me but from a technical standpoint and from a um, just a presentation. I mean, it's 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 a fantastic film, and I don't know what you pick apart on that. Um, what does he have coming? What's Fincher doing next? I haven't. I'm blanking. It's always twenty thousand leagues under the sea is like always. Uh, okay. Something that he's trying to do, and then it doesn't happen. So I don't. I'll look it up. So he wanted to do another dragon tattoo, but he never. Those need to stop. That's he not. never can get greenlit because the last one didn't make. And yeah. They're so the. Source material is just so incredibly dark. It's hard right. to make. Yeah, right. he doesn't really have anything working, I guess. Maybe more That's music videos? Officially. Yeah. yeah. House of Cards. He's executive producing that still. But I don't see as far as His directing. His funniest work is that he directed the suit and tie video of Timberlake and Jay-Z. That's so random. He's doing a show called Mindhunter, a TV series. Okay. Um, he's got another... An FBI agent kind of He's got show. another Gillian Flynn movie. So, that just seems like something he's going to attach himself to and then bail. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Affleck's writing the script. I would love for him to do Star yeah. Wars, honestly. Oh, man, he'd be such a cool Star Wars director. Would you be down for that, Brian? Um, spin-off. Like one of the spinoffs? I don't know. That's a tough... Because I... T- like I've said a thousand times already, Like I, I, I don't typically get... It doesn't hit me the same way. That but like, think about something like Social Network isn't quintessentially like dark Fincher. Like, it's actually pretty yeah. funny. It's just shot in this mm-hmm. noirist way. He could do something like that in Star Wars. It'd universe. be interesting. It's to not see like he'd have to make spin-off. it hyper violent yeah. or anything. It'd be interesting to see him do one of the spinoffs. I feel um, like once we see what Gareth Edwards does, we'll, we'll yeah. be like more open to mm-hmm. that idea. Yeah, maybe that he could do a darker, maybe kind of thing. So this is such a funny movie too, and that I yeah. kind of completely forgot. Me too. Um, cause I, that is, that is definitely something that I do it not associate with Fincher at all is comedy. I don't think I'm trying to think of any the, jokes, the meatloaf, the meatloaf character in this is yeah. like so yeah. random uh-huh. and like, uh-huh. fact, it's probably the best use of meatloaf in, in film. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, he's like, oh, if Pete dude. Rose tried to act, that's meatloaf. Like that's what you, <laughs> they're almost the same kind of person to be yeah. rash. Like you never know what they're going to do. Sure. Stuff. But there, there, just there a, it is. That's a Pete Rose, Pete Rose <laughs> reference. But the uh, funny thing <laughs> that I noticed on this last rewatch, everyone take this, a drink. <laughs> a hint was the beginning when we get his opening credit sequence, Fincher's, mm-hmm. and it starts like in the mind, and it's constantly zooming out, like through the gun into his mouth. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just constant like CGI pull out. But yep. It just proves that like it was all in his head, mm-hmm. you know, from the very beginning. Uh, it started in his head, so. I never really caught that before, but it's a nice little, nice little throw in. But let's go grades here, guys, on Fight Club. Maybe this one will come up again when we talk Fincher again. But I'm going to give this an A. Really like this movie. 
And um, it's one of the more beautiful pieces of art I've mm-hmm. ever. I mean, this could be on the AFI Top 100, and I'd be like, okay, yep. I know why. I yeah. can see why. Like uh-huh. you can watch it, and it's just like, wow, it looks, it's incredible. Uh, go ahead. I'm gonna give it an A as well. Brian, uh, same for me. Great, cool. So, where can we find you online, Richard? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden or at richardbarden.com. Brian, where can I find you? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill12. You can find my writing about at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Kentavious Caldwell Pope, where can we yeah. find you? You can find me <laughs> online at Ken Garrison and find us on Twitter at MAM underscore podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to iTunes, give us five stars. And uh, thank you to the sponsors for making this show happen. As always, it rock. We'll see you at the cinema. Bye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya-ya, just silence and scrambled eggs.